Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. So C.S. Lewis once said that you're never too old to set another goal or to dream a new dream. Now, I think that's a good quote. I've got a better one. I'm going to improve on C.S. Lewis's quote because looking around the room, I think the age thing might apply to one or two, but um, let's say this. You can never be in too hard a circumstance. You can never have life pressing in so much. Life can never be so difficult that it's impossible to set another goal or to dream another dream. Can, can we resonate with that one? Do, you, do, do we feel we can all get on board there? Because this last year has been challenging. We've been in a pandemic. We've been in lockdown. Things haven't been easy. I wonder how that goes when it comes to dreaming, setting goals, trying to achieve bold new things, listening to God's voice and stepping out on an adventure. Last summer, we had a, a meeting at Kingsburn Hall. So Colin got together a few of the leaders across CCM. And we didn't sort of Zoom leadership meetings for a while, but uh, we, we did one in person. And we, we kind of spaced out around the room. We had face masks on uh, and all of that. Um, and Colin said, we want to talk about the future for CCM. What's God calling us to do next? And uh, I'll, I'll be honest, this kind of conversation excites me. I'm quite a, a future-orientated person. I know some people are kind of, when we talk future, they're like, can't we just leave things? I, say, I like future stuff. So uh, a lot of the team do as well, actually. And Colin gathered us together, and then he dropped a bombshell into that meeting. Uh, and he says, what I want to do is I want to start six new sites at CCM. And I kept looking around the room, you can see all the faces of different people. And I think there were two things in the faces. One was like, okay, let, let, let's applaud the audacity. Let's applaud the, the, the kind of ambition of this thing. But mainly the look on the face was, you want to do what now? Like six new sites when we're not even meeting on Sundays at the moment. We're doing Zoom services and we're trying to keep, uh, make sure everyone's all right. We're trying to manage a bit of a crisis at the moment. Six is more than we've got in total. Like this is... Kind of audacious, faith-filled stuff. And there was a little bit of like, are you mad? That, that kind of was my first thing. I didn't say it quite like that, but, but nearly. But over the course of that meeting, then Colin narrated a bit of a journey that he'd been on over, well, actually over 25 years, but particularly over the last year. And different things that he'd been thinking, different things he'd been praying for, and particularly some prophetic words as well that had been given over him. And what happened over that two-hour meeting was the look on everyone's faces and certainly what was going on inside me quite quickly shifted from, you're mad, to, wow, I think God's speaking here. I think God is in this. And what you're telling us, it's not just an idea generated from, we're bored, we need to do something. But it's God, it's the, the living God He's giving us direction. He's giving us vision. He's speaking into this. And so the meeting started to change from, should we do this? To, how how should we do this? How should we get this done? The flip chart was filling up with all 
sorts of things. And, and then out of that meeting, when we did start meeting again on Sundays, different people who'd been in there were up at the front here in this room and different rooms talking about this thing that we had this sense collectively. God is speaking to us about doing this thing. And it was really interesting because I, I was in the congregation for quite a few of these announcements where this vision was being cast. And I made a point of looking around at the faces who were listening. And I recognised those faces. Those faces in that room were, were kind of the same as the faces in the first room. It's like, it sounds bold, it sounds fun, but you're mad. That was kind of the look that I saw when this was first being discussed. But you know, a really curious thing started to happen. That in the weeks following, as different people were up at the front praying, leading meetings, preaching community groups, all of that. It was interesting that this thing kept coming up. People were stirred to pray into it, stirred to share it, were leading into it, were speaking into it. It's like, well, that's interesting, isn't it? Like when Colin shared this to a little group of us, and it went from you're mad to there's faith for this, and then sharing it with a big group going from you're mad to seems like there's faith for this here as well. And so we started six little prayer meetings for, for Reddish and Denton, the Northern Quarter, the Spanish-speaking community, the Hindi-speaking community, and Munich. I was on the Munich one the other week. It is so much fun. You've got people from Ukraine and Poland and, uh, and English people and Germans on there, and people are praying. And we, we can't speak each other's languages, but you, you, know, you can say amen, just pretend they're praying in tongues, and it works well. It was great. But with faith for this thing in Munich. And we're not stopping here. It's not just get these prayer groups going, but out of these, we're believing that sites and churches will be started in all of these places and communities. But you know, this was a big step to take, wasn't it? Because when things were being shaken up, when we're in crisis moment, there's a fork in the road. What do you do when things are getting hard? There's a temptation to look inwards and to think, okay, well, we've got our people. How do we make sure we're consolidating in this moment? How do we make sure we're doing okay with what we've got? Honestly, when I was reading all the church leader blogs and uh, church leader podcasts and stuff, the main themes were, how do you handle this moment? How do you navigate where we're at? But the other fork in the road you can take when a crisis hits is how do we turn our eyes outwards? How do we use this as a launch pad for what God might be calling us to do. Anne Mulcahy said this, when you have that window of opportunity called a crisis, move as quickly as you can, get as much done as you can. There's a momentum for change that's very compelling. I believe she's onto something there. I'm going to share a few verses from Isaiah with you this morning. And Isaiah was speaking to a nation that had been through a crisis of their own. Now, they weren't in a pandemic, but they had been beaten in battle. They'd lost a war. Their temple had been destroyed and the people had been taken into exile. That's a crisis moment. And really the cry of their hearts, the thing they wanted above all else, was everything to go back to the way it was. Has anyone over the last year found yourself saying, if only things could go back to the way they were? Well, that was their cry. They wanted restoration for Israel. Yet when God spoke, he basically said to them this, I don't want to go back to the way things were. I've got something bigger and better planned for you. And this was Isaiah's message. And in particular, Isaiah gave 
four, you call them servant songs. They're little prophetic songs about one who would come, who would make all things right. And these were fulfilled in Jesus. And, and in these songs, particularly the one we're going to look at today, it's about raising up, not just Israel, not just restoring the nation. It's about God's salvation going to the ends of the earth. So hey, if you've got a Bible and you'd like to, please turn to Isaiah chapter 49. That's going to be our text this morning. I'm just going to read verse 1, and then I'll jump down to verse 5 and 6 and read those verses as well. Isaiah 49. Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb. From the body of my mother, he named my name. And then verse 5. And now the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honoured in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. He says, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light to the nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. There's a few things to notice in these verses, and the first one is this, that God is at work in his servant, even from the womb. That's important. A biblical view of life starts in the womb. It's not that God just gets interested once that baby's popped out and breathed its first breath. God's at work before that. God loves the unborn. And we see this, not just here in this servant. So we see it with David, John the Baptist, Jeremiah, many others. Know this, God has loved you since even before you were born. Since when you were in your mother's womb, his affection was set on you. His purposes were being worked out in you. And three things are highlighted that are going on with this baby in the womb. Firstly, that God is forming him. Verse 5 says, Now the Lord says, He who formed me in the womb to be his servant. God has knitted you together. God made you the way you are. The psalmist says, surely I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. So the way you are is because God has made you that way. You're not an accident. Don't believe that for a second. God made you and knitted you together. You know, remember when Emma was pregnant, we went to uh, a class that they basically taught us what would be happening with this baby in the womb. Uh, and at different stages, they, they told us the size that the baby would be. And at one bit, the baby would be the size of a raisin and then the size of a walnut. It was always like fruit, basically, then a satsuma. Uh, and they compared like which week the baby would be at which size. And isn't it fascinating? Even when you've got a baby the size of a little raisin, there's the hand of God forming, knitting them together in the womb. And that was happening here. But not just forming. We also see in verse 1, naming. It says, the Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother. He named my name. And so there's a speaking of identity. God speaks identity onto his servant right from the womb. The most important thing about who you are, about your identity... It's what God says over you. It's what God says you are. God speaks identity to you. Now, God's not the only one to do that. Lots of people might try and give you names. I don't know how many of you had a nickname at school. I'm not going to make you share them. Um, sometimes people give us nicknames that are nice, that are affectionate. Other times, 
less so. I remember one of my friends at primary school, for about three years, everyone referred to him as Bogey Nose. That was his name <laughs> around the school. And that's not very nice, really, is it? But the most important thing isn't the names that others have spoken over us. It's what God says. What God has said over you is the most defining thing about your identity. I love that song that we sometimes sing. I am who you say I am. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. That's the identity that God speaks over us as followers of Jesus. We're a child of God. You're a son of God. You're a daughter of God. You've been brought into his family. So in the womb, this servant is formed and named. And then there's also a calling. The Lord called me from the womb. Even from the womb, there's a purpose. God had things in mind for you and I to do from even before we were born. And for this servant that he's talking about here, it was bringing Israel back. It was gathering Jacob in. We see in verse 5, that was the context they were in. This needed to happen. The nation was a mess. The people were in exile. So there was this calling. But calling wasn't something only for Jesus. You and I have also been called. You've probably seen, you know, those um, World War I recruitment posters with like Kitchener, like your country needs you. And it's done so, uh, the eyes follow you. Wherever you are, he's like eyeballing you. The, your country needs you. Come and join up to the war. That's a calling, isn't it? People were called into action. We've been called by God from the mother's womb. And sometimes when we talk about calling, I think we load up a little bit too much on this idea that God's telling us to go to a very specific place. So God's telling us to do a certain job. Now that happens. It's happened to me. I'm in Manchester because I thought God was speaking to me to come here. But there's a much bigger, broader sense of calling as well that we need to understand. Again, think about like that Kitchener poster. That's the calling. Come and join this national effort. Then when you're there, you might get a particular order. Yeah, we need you to go to, to, to this HQ here. We need you to be uh, stationed over there or run this order to this general or whatever it might be. There might be specific instructions along the way. But the first calling is come, join this effort. In fact, I think there are three types of calling that the Bible talks about. And the first one is that we're called to Christ himself. So in Acts 2, Peter's describing the promise of forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. He says this is for all who are far off, for everyone who the Lord our God calls to himself. So when you come to Christ, when you receive forgiveness and the Holy Spirit, that's because God has called you to Christ. Or in Romans 8, Paul's describing how God's working for good for us in all things. And he reminds us that God has already called us. He said those whom he predestined, chosen before the creation of the world he's also called and those he's called he's also justified and those he justified he also glorified so we've been called by God to Christ so that's one kind of calling but another kind of calling that the bible talks about is our call that we all have to God's mission we're all called into God's mission now We've been talking about mission a lot lately, haven't we? We've been uh, doing a couple of months of preaching on it. We've been doing it in our community groups. But that's because the mission that we have isn't an optional extra that some Christians choose, but rather it's a calling from God. We've been commissioned by the Lord God of heaven into his mission. Dr Tony Evans said this, church is not for spectators. 
Church is not for spectators. The point isn't that we all come here on a Sunday, watch some people do some stuff, and then go home. But actually the point is together as a community, we're called into the mission of God. When Jesus called his first disciples, what did he say to them? Follow me, that's the call to Christ, and I'll make you fishers of men, the call to mission. Or when he appointed his apostles, it says that they might be with him, the call to Christ, and that he might send them out, the call to mission. When the risen Christ was teaching his disciples, two themes came up over and over again. I will send my Holy Spirit to be with you, and I've got a job for you to do. You'll be my witnesses. Go make disciples. So there's the call to Christ, the call to mission. And then the third kind of calling that we do hear of in the Bible is people being called to a certain job or a certain place. Like, think of Amos was called to be a prophet, or Peter was called to be an apostle, or you might think of Jonah was sent to Nineveh to go minister there, or um, Ananias was told to go to a certain street and look for a guy called Saul of Tarsus. We do get this, but it's in the context of this big calling to mission. Think of the bat symbol in the sky. It's been lit up, and we have been summoned to the task of God's mission. The servant of the Lord was called by God. But here's the most interesting thing that happens in this passage that we're reading. It's like God takes this mission, takes this calling to the most pressing need. Israel needs to be restored. Jacob needs to be gathered in. And God looks at it and says, hmm, now, it's too small, too insignificant. It's, it's too piddly. This little thing, going back to how things were, isn't big enough for me. Here's how it's put in verse 6. It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. You see, resolving the immediate crisis isn't enough. It's too small. God's enlarging the task to the outward call of his mission. That's what we were feeling last year. When, when Colin was sharing about these six sites and faith was rising, there was this sense of it's not enough. It's too small to think, how do we just navigate this crisis and go back to how things were? That's not what we're called to. We're called to look outward in God's mission. And our eyes were turned once again that way. This is a theme throughout the Bible. Think about Jesus. He's in Capernaum. He's ministering. It's going great. People are responding to his teaching. People are getting healed. Other people from the neighbouring towns and villages are travelling in to get time with him. It would be easy to set up a, a ministry base there. I'm going to do a crusade. Well, every night we'll be here. We'll put it on an event. And this could work really well. Then one morning Jesus went AWOL. His disciples didn't know where he was, but he'd been out praying. Eventually, Simon Peter finds me. He's like, Jesus, come back. Come back. There are so many people. There's such an opportunity here in Capernaum. He says, actually, I've been spending time with my father. And what I've realised is this. We need to be going to the other towns and villages instead. That's why I came. Not just consolidating in one place, but going outward, spreading the good news. Or think about the disciples after Jesus uh, died and rose again. and, And they said to him, can you tell us when it is that you'll restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus was like, no, no, let's not talk about that. I've got something else to talk about instead. You're going to be my witnesses in 
Jerusalem and Judea, but also in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. They were focused on just one area where they were already working. And God said, no, let's turn our eyes outwards. Let's go. I've got something bigger for you. God makes the vision bigger. Isn't that exciting? Here's what Kevin DeYoung says. Listen, whatever plans and hopes and dreams you have for the gospel, and I hope you have some, it is possible that those plans for the gospel might be too self-centred or too impatient or too naive, but it is impossible for them to be too big. I like that. We have plans, and they'll be flawed in different ways, but they will never be too big. Our dreams are never bigger than God's dreams. Our vision is never bigger than God's vision. I remember a few years ago, I was um, involved in an evening for people who were new to the church. And so we gathered a few people at someone's house, we put some food on for them. And then we spent a little bit of time talking about uh, the church and what we're about and what we're trying to do. And we, we were sharing how we're looking to, to plant sites. And uh, the, the way I explained it was like this. Just imagine your neighbour, right? And you want your neighbour to know Jesus. And isn't it great that in your neighbourhood... There's a church that you can bring them along to a Sunday meeting, you can invite them to your community group. There's an alpha course, so you can just have coffee with them and other people. And uh, you're living in this local neighbourhood. Isn't that great for your neighbour? People are nodding along, yeah, this is, this is really good. I can see how I can uh, help my neighbour come to faith because there's, there's a church here. I said, okay, now think about someone a bit like your neighbour who lives in the next town over or the next village over. How easy is it for them when going along to church means... Two buses or one long bus journey on a Sunday morning. Community groups difficult to get to. and There aren't a natural community around them. They're on the outside. They're always having to come in. That's difficult, isn't it? The person, if they're already committed and bought into the idea, they might do it. But someone who's kind of just exploring and discovering things, that's an obstacle in the way. Wouldn't it be great if just how God sent his son into our world, Jesus rocked up in the neighbourhood, he didn't ask us to go to him. He came to us. Wouldn't it be great if we could go to that person and start something where they are and there's a community on their doorstep and someone in the room, and it wasn't one of the new people to the church, this was a person who'd been with us for ages, who'd seen us start new sites. I remember as I explained this, there was just a look on her face like the penny has just dropped. And she said out loud, wow. I get it now. I get it now. Maybe you've been at CCM a while and you've heard us talking about starting new sites and what we're doing in different parts of the city and maybe it hasn't made sense to you. It's about going to where people are at because we want to share with them the good news of Jesus. That's what it's all about. You know the mission series that we've recently been doing and this thing about starting six new sites, they're not different things. They go hand in hand. They're part of the same thing. Talking about mission. How do we reach the people closest to us? How do we share the gospel with them? Talking about starting new sites. How do we reach people a little further away? Living in a different bit of the city. Speaking a different language. Living in Munich. Wherever it may be. It's the same thing. We're wanting to reach people with the good news of Jesus. It says that his salvation may spread to the end of the earth. 
that's what we're about. And uh, that's the bullseye, isn't it? Salvation going to the end of the earth. Think about the geographical spread that he's talking about. These people were just exiled from their land in Jerusalem. They wouldn't have had any concept of the end of the earth. But look from our vantage point in history. Two and a half thousand years on, however long it is. And think about what we're doing this morning. We're gathered together around the word of God. We're, we're sharing prayers. We're breaking bread together. Together as people who've experienced this salvation. And then think how far away we're living from where they were. That we're on this little island in Northern Europe. And then where else in the world will there be people doing this this morning? Across Europe across the Middle East, across North Africa, down into sub-Saharan Africa, through Asia, through India, China, places like that, through the Americas, Australia, all around the globe. People are gathered today to do what we're doing because it's happened, because salvation has spread all around the world. And we know there are still some people groups who are unreached. And so we pray, we we champion the, the global mission to reach the unreached as well. And what's reached the ends of the earth is salvation. And we talk about this word salvation or saving. I just want to kind of illustrate how it works. Because to talk about saving means that there's some kind of predicament. There's some kind of problem that we cannot resolve on our own. And I want to tell you a story. Just over a year ago, I I took a group from church up to the Lake District on on a weekend away. And me and my family were the advanced party. So we drove up to the hostel earlier in the day. We found it just fine. Um, and um, we, we sorted it out. We put some food on for everyone else. And everyone else would come in up later in the day on a minibus. And they didn't turn up at the time I was expecting them. I thought, that's fine, there'll be traffic, whatever. But then about half an hour, an hour later, I get a phone call from, from Liam, who was driving the bus. And he, he, he was like, Tom, we need help. We're stuck. I was like, you're stuck? What do you mean you're stuck? So, well, the instruction said we needed to take a left. It'd be like a narrow track. So I took the minibus on this narrow track. And then the narrow track started going uphill. So I followed it up the hill. And then the narrow track on the hill turned into a footpath on a hill. So I I thought, well, it must turn back to a track soon enough. So I was driving this minibus up this this footpath up this hill. And um, then I realised the footpath ain't going to turn back into a narrow track. And we've gone the wrong way. So I was thinking, should I try reversing the minibus down the footpath down the hill? Uh, And then I had another idea. So there was just about enough room for us to turn the minibus around so I could drive down forward. So I thought, that's fine. I'll do that. I'll turn the minibus around. And uh, and I got it sideways. And then there wasn't quite enough traction to get all the way around. Nor was there enough traction to get it back the way it was. So now the minibus is sideways on a footpath in the Lake District. Can you help us? <laughs> and I said, well, not really. <laughs> I've no idea where you are. You, uh, there are lots of footpaths in the Lake District. I've got no idea. I don't know the area. And even if I could find you, I wouldn't know what to do. <laughs> there was a guy at the hostel who was working there. I, I knocked on his door. I said, mate, can, can you help us? We need a favour here. Um, this is what's happened. I explained the situation to him. And he had a few ideas where the footpath might be. So uh, he got in his car, I got in mine, I followed him. And uh, we tried a few of the footpaths. Eventually, we found them. And uh, and me and the guy managed to do a few carloads of people, get them to the hostel. uh, Until eventually, there's just me and Liam left with the minibus. And we're like, what do we do now? And um, he called the breakdown services. 
And the breakdown people were not interested in this case. <laughs> like they tried all of their people up in the Lake District and to a man they said, no, we're not doing this one. You need specialist equipment for this. Eventually they found someone who would take the job, but he lived in Newcastle, which was two hours drive away from where we were in the Lake District. We're kind of coming on to 11 o'clock at night by now. And uh, the guy from Newcastle phones up and says, look, if you really want me to, I'll come now and uh, I'll be with you in two hours. Or if you'd prefer, I can just meet you in the morning and we can sort it then. And we thought, well, it is fine. No one's going to be walking this footpath in the middle of the night. We'll see you in the morning. We'll be back there at eight o'clock. And we went to the hostel. And we had no idea what we would be doing the next morning. We thought we'd probably have to do a lot of pushing and shoving, that he'd be helping us. Maybe um, he'd find a way to get it sorted in the end. But we thought there'd be still a lot of effort. We turn up at eight o'clock in the morning and we find the minibus has been set right. And this guy, he's not even had access to the minibus. He's not been able to start the engine. But somehow he's turned it from sideways to pointing forwards down the hill. And it's all ready for us so that we can just go back you see we had a problem and a predicament and we couldn't do anything about it and what we needed is somebody who wasn't us to come and to solve that problem for us and that's how it is for all of humanity the bible tells us we've all sinned we've all fallen short of the glory of god it says we all like sheep have gone astray that's a predicament that we cannot solve. We're lost and we've got no idea where we are. And even if we didn't know where we were, we'd be unable to sort it out. We'd be unable to set ourselves right. What we need is someone who can solve it for us, a saviour. And that's who Jesus was. He came, he lived a perfect life that we couldn't live. He took our sins, he took them to the cross and he died the death that we deserved. And he dealt with all our sin. He gave us his righteousness. He gave us new life in him we've been set right by him that's salvation that's what's being talked about here that needs to reach the ends of the earth we're gathered here this morning because we've experienced this we've experienced what this is in our own lives that's what we unite around this great gospel and so we want other people to experience exactly what we have experienced. Brian Lawrence said the blessings of God are not meant to be hoarded but shared. I mean how how bad would it be if we haven't experienced this? Look on at the world around us and think stuff you lot we've we've been saved that's all that matters. No we've got to take this message out. There is no other way of salvation but by faith in Jesus. Church father Ambrose of Milan he said God chose that man should seek salvation by faith rather than by works, lest anyone should glory in his deeds and thereby incur sin. Salvation happens only by faith in Jesus. And this isn't going to happen on its own. It's not just going to kind of spring up randomly in different places. People will be saved by responding to the gospel because other people go and tell them the gospel. Salvation happens when people go. That's what this whole thing in Isaiah is about, that salvation will go to the ends of the earth. The good news of Jesus will be proclaimed all over the place. Now, next week is Give Big Sunday. And I was supposed to be today doing a Give Big preach. And I decided that I was going to spend my time not talking about money and not talking about here's principles for how you manage your finances. I wanted to talk about mission. Why? Because I wanted to set some context for what this thing 
is all about. That's what we try and do. What are we giving to? What are we using our finances in order to achieve? And it's this. We want God's salvation to spread to the ends of the earth. I talked about uh, at the start how we, we've started these six groups, these prayer gatherings. The next step for us along the way is to be ready and resourced to launch these sites well. And to do this, we want to be in position that as God's moving and as God's uh, bringing something to a point where it's ready to go, that we're ready to go, that we can equip it to launch well. And so we want to start a fund where we're, we're building up the money ready to do that in each of these six sites. And each year as a church, we do two Give Big offerings. We do one uh, in November that we give away to the poor, and we do one in May that's focused on mission. And this year, our May mi- mission offering, we're going to use it to kickstart this fund to get these new sites going and uh, and we'll probably supplement this in future by other offerings and initiatives but this is what we're going for we want to be able to launch these things as God is on the move because we believe that God has spoken we believe we're not just doing this as a good idea we're doing it as a response to what we believe God is calling us to do the next two Sundays will be our give big offering or any time in between you can give to the bank accounts label it give big and then the finance people will know what it's for but it's amazing how when, when, when Colin started talking about it in that room, just seeing faith rising uh, in the people there, and then seeing as we've rolled this out to different congregations, seeing faith rising in people who are hearing it and stepping forward and praying into it and speaking into it, and then seeing people turn up at these prayer meetings and praying their heart out, and you can tell that there is faith, that together as a church, we, we believe that God is in this and God is leading us to do it and so now's the moment let that faith stir up some generosity let that faith be expressed as we give we've been called by God and not to something small this is about salvation and this offering that we're doing is a part of it it's not the whole thing by any means but it's a part of it so I would invite you at this moment to ask God what you can give ask what he would have you give and respond in faith And let's join together in his mission.